0: Lent has gone by really fast this year. Forgive my voice. I've <laughs> I had like a uh, sinus infection. I'm still getting over, so I'm feeling much better today than I did yesterday. I was I was starting to come down with it in uh, the sermons you're about to hear from Sunday. Anyway, Lent has gone by very fast. Um, this coming Sunday is Palm Sunday, which is of course the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday, and so. Uh, Anyway, I'm I'm needing to schedule Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday if there is any of that, and things are just moving very fast, and I've I've got a hundred things going on. Uh, something that I talked about in worship, <clears throat> and uh, I don't think it's going to be in the section you're going to hear today. I'm trying to raise money for a couple different projects, and so uh, I'm only going to talk about one, and it's this missional project that I have in mind for No Water. Right up front, the price tag is $7,000. We're wanting to hire somebody part-time to form a women's ministry. My wife is connected to—my wife's not the person that would be hired. My wife is connected to a homeschooling co-op that has many women plugged in um, who are routinely just overworked and kind of stretched thin and stressed. And we thought it might be uh, beneficial for a number of different reasons to form a group out of that of women who are once a week gathering to uh, have some intentional Christian community and be active in the kitchen, making meals that they then take home to their families. And it cuts down on meal prep time at home. Uh, They're feeding healthy meals to their families. And they're having uh, intentional Christian community aimed at mutual upbuilding. So anyway, um, if you want to know more about that, please contact me. Um, at the church office, or email me at pastor.rickman at gmail.com. I need to, the, the board of the church was clear that they liked the idea, but they wanted me to provide uh, my own funding for it. So uh, this is me asking you to consider making a special donation to the church so that we can maybe um, make a big difference in the lives of a number of local families, many of whom don't belong to a church yet and might be open to a new relationship. So consider it. Um, I think that's the only thing I wanted to to call to your attention before we get into today's time in the Word, so with no further ado, I hope you enjoy your time with us.
1: Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world.
2: Testament reading is from the prophet Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 through 14 which you can find on page 1219 in your pew Bibles. Listen for the Word of God. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold there were very many in the open valley so low there they were dry, and he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, O God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophecy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and she, she, ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews in the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then saith he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I commanded me, as He commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold of my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord.
1: Anybody heard this reading before? It's uh, a lot of people have heard that uh, the M-bones, M-bones, M-dry-bones. That's what this is from, if you don't know. Head bone connected to the neck bone. The neck bone connected to the shoulder bone. The shoulder bone connected to the backbone. Yeah, some okay. Some people are okay. We've heard you sing enough, Jeffrey. All right. Um, that's that's where that's from. But the song, it's kind of lost on you. This is um, we are we when we hear this, we hear it a little bit differently than an ancient context would because we're living in an age post-dawn of the dead. You know, zombie movies have made their impact on people. So as it's talking about people coming out of the graves and sinew being put on bones, a lot of people, the mental imagery that comes out is, is something out of a horror movie. That's not what's going on here. What's going on here is a restoring of people who were dead. So let's, let's be clear because here's here's the core issue that all of our readings are going to direct us to today and it requires for us to be firm on this can and will god bring literally dead people back to life what was that noise okay it was cody i was thinking that was the holy spirit emphasizing my point that was perfect timing Let's pretend it was, because the thing is, we live in an age that imagines itself smarter than and more refined than previous ages. I know none of you were ever like this, but a lot of people, they look back on biblical people and they go, well, they were just really gullible back then. That was before modern science, and you know, they... They had things happen that they couldn't explain. And rather than rationally approaching these things, they just superstitiously placed it all on God. You know, there were, there were instances that really couldn't be easily explained of people who seemed to be dead coming back to life. And, and we imagined that that was God. But really, we know that God doesn't do things like that. You know, God can't do things like that. That's, that's the problem. You know, I, I believe in science. I believe, let me be clear. I believe in the scientific method. Science is a method. Where you, you have a hypothesis and you test the hypothesis and then whenever you can't prove it wrong, it becomes a theory and I have no problem with that. I have a big problem thinking that because we stand at a more technologically advanced place that we are somehow smarter than or better than people who came before. That's a lie from Satan. And Satan uses that to blind us against the power of God's word because central to the gospel message is not only that God can raise people from the dead, but that he will raise all flesh from the dead for salvation or damnation. That is the story of the Bible. And if you do not believe that, then you do not know the power of the gospel. You are not going to be able to receive with proper weight the information presented in this book because you have already discounted the undergirding message. Why do people think that God cannot and will not restore people from the dead? Well, they, they go down this line saying, well, you know, and death is really quite an amazing thing. Did you know that from before when your body is born, there are bacteria that are uh, asleep inside of you that are just waiting all your life for when you finally die, and then they will activate and they will start liquefying and eating every cell in your body and break it down. Isn't that amazing? There's this thing that happens when a body dies. It doesn't stay the same. It goes through, and I know this is morbid, and I'm going to lean into it. And I don't care if it, well, I care a little bit that it makes you uncomfortable. But still, you need to reckon with the fact that when you die, your body, it swells up, liquefies, falls apart, and all that's left is bones. And that's what's going on right here in this. There are people, this point in history, who have had battles and their bones lay strewn across A plane where they have decomposed big time all that's left is dry bones they're not even wet anymore and some people would mockingly say you mean to tell me that God is gonna reverse the chemical process whereby all these cells were undone and he's going to reconstitute these bodies and then he's gonna grab their soul and put it back in their body and then they're just gonna be alive like nothing ever happened and the biblical answer is yes Absolutely. Unflinchingly. You know, the world does this. They put us in a position. And you mean to tell me, okay, nice fairy tale. God's going to bring us back to life. Let me tell you about what's involved in that chemically. Yes, God can do that chemically. In fact, it's easy for him. In fact, he's going to do it for every single person who's ever lived. And there are people, well, you know, what if one person dies and then they decompose and their nutrients go into another person? You know, what's God going to do then? You know, you can get real nerdy about it. And the proper answer to that is shut up. That is totally not the point. God can do whatever he wants. It's not even hard for him. But we live in a a scientific age where everything has to bow down to science. Well, science says that's not possible. So God is limited in this book to what we say is possible. Shut up. Just shut up. You know, I, I know we're told that Christians are nice. Jesus wasn't nice. We're not held to that standard. There are a number of things people say to try and sap this of strength. And you can try and, well, you know, respectfully, I disagree. Or you can just, you know, just say you're not a Christian. If you don't want to believe in what this says, just say you're not a Christian. I don't see the point. Oh, I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in the resurrection. Well, we have this whole book in the Bible written just for you, 1 Corinthians, and it says if it's for this life only that you have believed, you believed in vain. You're a chump. That's what he says pretty much in the Greek. I forget the Greek word for chump. He says it. You're it if you don't believe in the resurrection. Now, there is, to be fair... This is a vision it did not historically literally happen yet however four of the final resurrection have indeed happened because we serve a savior who said i am the resurrection and he literally brought some people back from the dead while he was with us he literally came back from the dead after he died christians we cannot look away from this we have to look towards and look at how detailed it was it says oh, these dry bones are there and then God built that tissue back on, and then he grabbed their spirits out of the wind, and he put it back in them, and they were as alive as they ever were. Would this not be an amazing thing to see? I would not even know how to process this (laughs) if I saw it, but did you notice he did still give a role to Ezekiel? What was that role? Prophesy, cry out. The thing is, God is going to do whatever he's going to do. But the question is, is he going to use you or somebody else? And if you look at Moses, Moses is going, please use somebody else. (laughs) And God says, shut up. (laughs) He gets mad and he makes Moses do what he wants. You hear Samuel, he calls out to Samuel. Samuel, for his part, says, here I am, Lord. Tell me what you want me to do. And that's for each of us. We are members of the royal priesthood of all believers. God sends us his spirit, and then the question is, what are you going to do about it? The prophets only prophesied by God's Holy Spirit. It's the same exact spirit he has given you. And the question is, are you going to prophesy? Are you going to speak to the dead bones out there and tell them, come to life? I do fully believe that that's how Christians are supposed to read this Old Testament verse. Because the thing is when we hopefully everybody in this building right now is a born again Christian. Hopefully everybody has the Holy Spirit living in you and you're living by the Spirit. But when we go out there there are a bunch of people who are dead. They are dead 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 dead. I know the Greek word for that it's thanatos. Isn't that a perfect word? Thanatos. Dead. That's what they are. We're the ones who are alive supposedly are you going to warn them are you going to prophesy are you going to extend god's words of life to them or are you just going to walk around hey dead guy nothing to talk about here did you see the game last week oh man what a game oh how do you feel about politics let's talk about that let's not talk about the gaping hole in your head from a bullet wound that you suffered before you were born let's not talk about the cancer that you have that is sending you to hell no let's just talk about something else not nearly as meaningful That's what the world wants us to do. That's what Satan wants us to do. I'm trying to wake everybody up here this morning. There is a valley of dry bones, which is the world. And God has commissioned us. Remember, Jesus said, go into the world and declare the good news, right? That's what prophesying is, declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. These are the words of Jesus and remember, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus could not have been more clear with what he was expecting us to do, how he's expecting the church to live. The question is not, what does God want from us? The question is, are we going to do it? He has talked to you, O son of man. Prophesy to the dead bones. Raise your hand. Do you know anybody who's dead bones? No? Some of you don't know any dead bone people. You need to get out there and know your neighbors. There's a lot of dead bone neighbors. Maybe our our saying in our language is dead meat, right? Do you know anybody who's dead meat? If they died tomorrow, they'd be dead meat, probably. God has put you in their life to warn them. Now, when you warn them, there's no guarantees they're going to repent and and get right with God. But I can guarantee you if you don't warn them, they're not going to. And you might hate your neighbor. But do you hate them that much not to warn them? Not to tell them. Uh, I'm, we need to move on, but these these ideas are going to connect further down the line. So we're going to go to Psalm one thirty. What page is that on? Cody's going to come and help lead. Eight forty eight. We've done this one before. So it sounds like this. I'll sing it once, and then you all join me. In my distress, I cry to the Lord. Deliver me, O Lord. All right, let's sing that together. In my distress, I cry to the Lord. Deliver me.
2: Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice.
1: Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be worshipped.
2: I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In the Lord's word, I hope.
1: My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning.
2: O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the
1: Lord there is steadfast love, and with the Lord is plenteous redemption. And the Lord will redeem Israel from all iniquities. In my distress I cry to the Lord, deliver me. Thank you, Cody. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Let me ask you this question. Um, Faith in Jesus Christ, the Christian religion, all the trappings of that, is that like supposed to be in place number 10 in your life of most important things, place number 5, number 2, number 1? What place do you think it's supposed to be? You know the answer. (laughs) I tried to set that up silly. It's number 1. Nothing even comes close. Family, friends, job, money, food, none of it comes close. And yet, do our desires match up with that reality? Not naturally. And what this psalm makes clear is, my hope is in the Lord. My soul has learned to hunger for God more than food, more than the love of my friends, more than the satisfaction of my family that's the level of love we are aspiring to with the lord that's a countercultural love that seems like crazy love to people that's that's the standard set by the scriptures now when you love god that much do you think he loves you back have you ever have you ever loved somebody who loved you back does it feel good Can you imagine loving God more than you've ever loved anybody else, and he loves you back even more than you love him? Can you imagine how emotionally satisfying that would be? You know, I remember when Sarah Beth and I loved each other, and one time I'd had one beer, and I accidentally let slip that I was thinking about marrying her, and my eyes instantly bugged out. I don't remember exactly how I said it, but she looked at me and her eyes bugged out for a second, and then she smiled. Because she was already thinking about it too. And you know, I got the ring on her finger and she loved me back and it was amazing. But I have something even better than that with my Lord. If I have the decency to love him, he loves me back so much more. And the way that that's connected to what I was talking about before is you know, what if I told you I love my wife because she has the most beautiful blonde hair? You'd be like, wait, are we talking? Do you have another wife? You know, Sarah Beth is brown-haired. You, you want to know the people you love, right? You like knowing things about them. Well, something about my God is he's more powerful than death. In fact, that's a very important trait about him. So to say that I love my God but go, oh, I don't, I don't know about all that resurrection stuff. That is a key thing about loving him. Love him for who he is. Love him for what he does. You know, what if my wife told you, I love Jeffrey, but I really wish he wasn't a lame Christian preacher. You'd be like, well, uh, that's not great. Well, I love my God, but I just don't think it's very important that he raises people from the dead. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I, man, y'all don't go home and be like, Jeffrey was telling everybody to shut up a lot today. <laughs> but I mean, a lot of times, I, I know I'm a very two-dimensional pastor. I, I, I've told you stop it many times. But that's what a lot of scripture comes down to, doesn't it? And then sometimes, you know, I mean, this is the middle of Lent and it's about self-denial and a lot of self-denial is learning to tell yourself to shut up. You ever done that? Tell yourself to shut up? It's one of the best things I ever learned (laughs) because I got a drunken monkey mind up here and you got to just learn to just shut up. Don't think that. It's just not good. It's not helpful. So as much as we're talking about telling other people to shut up, I'd be a bad pastor if I didn't tell you to direct that inward and govern yourself. There are certain things that will bring you closer to God, help you love him rightly. There are certain things that will take you away from God. And to those things we say, shut up, go away. Or the biblical thing is, get behind me, Satan. We think shut up is something. I would much rather hear shut up than get behind me, Satan, wouldn't you? All right, let's do our, let's do our New Testament reading. Um, Yeah, Whitney, come on forward.
3: Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the Church of Rome, chapter 8, verses 6 through 11, which you can find on page 1592 in your pew Bibles. Listen again for the word of God. For to be carnally minded is death but of the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. The word of the Lord.
1: So I know everybody says this is early English or middle English. This is actually modern English, if you didn't know this, but it's early modern English. Uh, I'm making fun of nerdy people, and then I got nerdy. But the thing is, some of these words don't carry the same meaning that they did. And, uh, you know, quicken usually we, makes us think of, like, getting faster. Quicken actually means bring to life. You know, a quickening is when someone is brought to life that was dead. Uh, similarly, there's a the word carnally. Now, we don't necessarily know what that means, but we know what carne asada is sometimes. Carne is meat or flesh. So people who are living of the flesh are carnally minded and so how do you know if you're carnally minded well if all of your thoughts are about bodily comfort that's a great indicator so he's he's lifting up people who are carnally minded versus people who are spiritually minded when we're thinking about the spirit is the holy spirit so how do you know if you are in the spirit well is god's holy spirit in you that's a great place to start and if so he will change how you think do you think that maybe christians should think differently than non-christians Well, probably, yeah, if we have a different way of life, a different truth, then yeah, what you believe will impact the way you think. So Christians are not to be carnally minded. We're not supposed to be obsessed with worldly comfort, and creature comforts. We're to be obsessed, if not with that, then what Psalm 130 was talking about. I take my comfort in the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. I watch for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. That's what it was saying, right? So here in Romans, Paul is making clear, there's only two types of people. Those who are of the flesh and those who are of the spirit. And Christ only wants one. So if Christ be in you, sorry, this is verse 9. If ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, that's good. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. That's, that's the King James way of saying Jesus has nothing to do with you. If you don't have his holy spirit in you, you are not his. And Jesus was very clear about this in the gospel of John which we're going to turn to in a minute. He faced off against some Pharisees who said, "We're children of Abraham." He says, "No, you're not. You're children of the evil one. You're children of the devil." He said it straight to their face and they said, "How dare you say that?" But the thing is, if you're not children of Christ, if his spirit does not dwell in you, then it doesn't matter how nice you are or how much you love your kids or if you mow your neighbor's lawn when he's out of town. None of that matters when it comes to salvation issues. If you want to be saved, you live by the Spirit, and that means you have the Spirit of Christ Jesus in you. This reading could not be more clear. And the thing is, that Spirit, what was that? Let's see, was that verse 14?
3: Hmm,
1: hmm, hmm. The, the, the. Will bring life to your mortal bodies as well. That's what's going through. Verse 11. But the spirit of him that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead. Did Jesus raise from the dead? Did he have a body? Yeah. He ate. He let them touch him. The spirit of him that raised Christ Jesus up from the dead will dwell in you. He that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken, bring to life your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So, uh, sinner, mortal. Are you going to die someday if Jesus doesn't come first? Is that the end of your story? You just become worm food and that's it? No. Christians know that that's just the chapter marker right there for a story that goes on for eternity. And that Christ will raise up our mortal bodies because the Holy Spirit has made a home in you and he can redeem everything. There is nothing that the Holy Spirit cannot redeem. Can anyone say amen to that? I heard one amen. There is nothing so broken that God cannot redeem it. And it's, it's not even hard for him. It's easy. It's hard for us to imagine because we're silly humans. We're not God. God, not only can he imagine it, he's already done it. God has the power to restore all things. He will restore whatever he wants. That's not the question. Once again, the question is, what are you and me going to do about it, right? How are we going to live? And if I don't believe it, if I don't believe that God is going to raise me up from the dead... Do you think I'm going to live differently from those who do believe it? There could be no bigger factor in how a person lives. If this is the only life that I've got, I'm going to live very differently than if I understand life goes on for eternity. This is something that I feel like I'm bringing up pretty often. And we need to be thinking about it. What does my life look like? How do I live differently than those who don't believe in eternal life? I can't answer all those questions for you, but the odds are there are some ways that, well, I'll speak for myself. There are ways on which faithless days, I'm a little too concerned with my own comfort and not quite concerned enough with what would glorify God. You know, I I find it most especially, I get a little too worked up about inflation. You know, I have these bank accounts that I was feeling good about until inflation set in. And then, you know... I take a little too much joy in the fact that I got these chickens and I'm not paying egg prices like you suckers are, you know. These feelings about money, I love Bob Sullivan. He's like, he called, I can't believe he did that. I'm glad y'all let me mess with you a little bit, but I take a little too much joy and comfort in material wealth, you know. I shouldn't take that much joy in it. If I'm not taking joy in material wealth, what should I be taking joy in? Yeah, the Lord. I mean, it's obvious. I'm, I'm, we're going through these same steps. I want you going home and analyzing yourself and going, I take a little too much joy in this. Or, you know what, I don't take enough joy where I should. The, it is not love. It's not a bad thing to love. In fact, it's a great thing to love. But the thing is, Satan loves when we love things wrongly. What happens when you come to Jesus is he reorders your love to love things rightly but that will not take place the being transformed and the renewing of your minds that does not take place without the holy spirit so that's why i selected hymns today that have us thinking on the holy spirit so let's sing one more hymn about the holy spirit then we're going to sing about we're going to read about jesus raising somebody from the dead and then we are going to nourish these bodies that god has given us amen now a certain man was sick named lazarus of bethany the town of mary and her sister martha It was the same Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that Lazarus was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was, where Jesus was, that he stayed put for two days. That's what he's saying. Then after that, he saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? They're saying, hey, Lord, you're going into the danger zone. They want to kill you there. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. So that's a little sermon unto itself that I'm not going to give today, but that's worth camping out on. Verse 11, These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. He's going to be okay. Might be a great nap. He doesn't need you to wake him up. That's what they're saying. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest in sleep. If you've ever read First and Second Thessalonians, the way that Paul talks about death is sleep. This is the Christian understanding of death. It's not actually a final thing. The Thanatos thing that's so scary for everybody else, it's not scary for us because we know God's going to wake us up. So that's why Jesus is talking about it asleep. Anyway, verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with Now, what do we know Thomas for? Not this bold statement. We know him for doubting that Christ was resurrected when he died, right? Doubting Thomas. But here he has this very courageous statement. Okay, Jesus going into the danger zone, probably going to get killed. Let's go with him. Let's die with him. Remind me, on the night in which Jesus was apprehended in Gethsemane, did Thomas stand by his side and die with him? He ran away like all the others, didn't he? Let this be a short little thing to bring your attention to. Just because you think you're with Jesus doesn't mean you're actually with him. When the the, the cards when the chips are down, make sure that you're not going to run when the time comes. Verse 17. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Who? Lazarus. He'd been dead four days. Now, just as a reminder, the putrefaction process already takes place after four days. His body will have swelled. A lot of things are permanently damaged. There is no bringing this body back to life scientifically. Modern science could not do this, could not even come close. Okay. Verse 18, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him, but Mary sat still in the house." Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. Do you all remember what Christ means? Anointed one. Very good. Yeah. Anoint. Uh, Christ is the, the Greek of Mashiach, which is the Hebrew anointed one. I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. Here's the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Now let's camp out on this for a second because... Did Jesus know that Lazarus was dead? He knew he was going to die from before he heard about it. He knew this was the plan the whole time. Now, you would, you would think that somebody who knew the plan the whole time would be stoic, would be fine. He'd be saying, you guys, you know, you remember on the, the ship whenever they're about to die and they're freaking out? And he said, why did you have such a little faith? You remember that? Jesus so often does not validate our feelings of drama, but here he does. I think for Christians, that means that we're not supposed to be, you know, I think there are some people who, oh, God just needed another angel in heaven. Why are you crying? And that's really heartless, I think. It really sucks. Sorry, excuse me. It's really not great when people we love die. It's not desirable. We don't want it. Now, we're not afraid that they're going to be damned forever in hell, necessarily. Some of them, yeah, most of them probably. But the thing is, it's okay to be sad at death. And also to trust that God is God of death and death has no hold over what he wants a hold of. You can do both things at the same time and that's what I think we see Jesus doing. He could mourn the dead and raise the dead. Isn't that amazing? Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind, Jesus, have caused that even this man should not have died? Could Jesus have kept Lazarus from dying? Yeah, of course he could have. But here, remember what he said to the disciples. He said, uh, was it verse 6? No? Verse four. verse 4. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. So Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die and that it was going to be for God's glory. You remember they asked him, why did the blind man Uh, Not have sight was it his sin or his parents sin? And Jesus said, Neither, so that God would be glorified. The notion here is that God is glorified in all things, especially bad things, where God redeems, because God can redeem all things. Right. Anyway, I should have kept on going. What am I at thirty-eight? Yeah. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord. By this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now, ugh, not good. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that thou, if, uh, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about a napkin, bound about with a napkin. Jesus said, this is, if you've ever seen mummies in the cartoons, they wrapped him up. And this is what Lazarus looked like. God instantly reversed the chemical processes, restored the life in the body, and he came out looking like a mummy, but he was a fully alive man Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him for obvious reasons, I would put in there. This is the word of the Lord. If Jesus in the flesh could raise a man from the dead easily, then God, whose spirit is in you, can easily raise your mortal body from the dead, and he will, and the question is, on that day, will you be accounted righteous in his sight so that's what we're doing here and now this is establishing that foundational belief in the resurrection if you're not thinking about that if you're not prepared for it you need to be because one day you will be resurrected and you will be before the judgment seat of christ jesus and if you're not ready for that day then it's going to be a bad day for you this is lent i get to preach dark sermons okay So lean upon God's Holy Spirit. Pray for his Holy Spirit. We drilled that hymn in. We're going to last, the the last portion here is going to be insisting that we trust God and will obey the Lord. Amen? Let's stand and sing hymn number 467, Trust and Obey.